0: Do Yourself a Favour, the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier. My name's Tim Sisney from Make Work Work Better and each episode I'll be talking to my guests about their epiphanies, their inspirations and the magic of their workflow. And I'm here today with Karen Navari. Hello Karen.
1: Hello, how are you Tim?
0: Yeah, well thank you. Thank you for joining us on Do Yourself a Favour.
1: I love that, what a great time
0: so it's officially a five-star podcast because one of my friends gave it five stars so there we go it's Woo-hoo! official yeah or <laughs> yeah see if we can knock that down a peg or two would you like to uh, tell everybody who you are and what you're thinking
1: well my name is karen avari i i'm the ceo and designer and developer of safety culture programs of uh, two businesses actually so one is my own called Karen Avari which really focuses on probably executive coaching and digital facilitation designing and mentoring actually so helping people use facilitation tools to really bring their programs to life and I by mixing all of those things up I've created my other business which is safety collaborations which is where we look we deliver large-scale safety culture program change programs around the world and we're delivering that using technology so those three things are all coming together very nicely so that's kind of where I am today but there was a journey to get there (laughs) needless to say
0: excellent and hopefully we'll get into that a little bit later so we'll we'll get right into it what's something that you wished you'd learnt sooner
1: I, I spend a bit of time thinking about that question and funny enough I think it's that imperfection is perfection okay so it's okay for, you know, I've often said in the past, you know, unless you're a brain surgeon, 90% is good enough. But I think if someone, if you and I have certainly been guilty of that over the years and still have to fight this, you know, desire to, no, it's got to be just here. And the lines have got to be just lined up and it's just got to be just so before I can let it loose on the world, you know, and that, perfect, that, that perfectionism uh, mm. can be a real hindrance actually to getting things done. So, yeah, so I think, and so I've been working on this for the last 20 years, just to stop worrying about that perfectionism. So I think that imperfection is actually, there's a beauty in imperfection. There's a lovely Chinese Chinese or Asian story about the pot with a filling it in with gold. Oh, my God, what's that name? And it's about making the imperfection beautiful.
0: Mm. Um, there's a, a fantastic thing I saw on, I think, Instagram or maybe one of the other socials, where there's an artist who fills in the cracks in municipal sports courts.
1: Oh, I saw this, I think.
0: With with gold in the same way. So it kind of, so, and then, so these big aerial folks are like, you know, inner city basketball courts where all the cracks have been filled in with gold. And it's that same kind of idea of, you know, fixing old pottery with with uh, gold to so that the, the breaks and the cracks and everything tells a story of its... Of its-
1: absolutely and and it's and the imperfection is lined with gold you know it's mm. it has a lot of value to the whole process of whatever we do yeah
0: what do you think would have you'd have achieved or done differently or not done if you'd have learned that sooner
1: not so much differently but I think I might have got a few things done sooner actually okay Yeah, you know, so because I, I think I I assess that you know my imperfection can my perfectionism can lead to procrastination Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know so it it, or it's a reason there's this somehow this inner feeling of not being being able to let it go so Mm -hmm. I think I yeah I think there have definitely been times in my life where I think we could have got things projects finished sooner and so I'm quite conscious of that these days so I'm like okay I'm going to hand this over to you I've mm-hmm. I've done the big picture thing. You now finish it to the level that you know that we believe that we can put it out into the world, sort of thing. So letting go is, is yeah, letting go of things and, and delegating. And I think it all. I think it. It's a really even thinking about it right now. I think it impacts so many areas of life. Actually, mm-hmm. from how we feel, how we look, to how we perform on the job, whatever sport, whatever it is that we do. I suspect it's a very big challenge actually this imperfection mm. perfection.
0: It's it's an interesting tension isn't it because there's mm-hmm. in that whole sense you know done is better than perfect and delivering and putting things out into the world yeah. you know nothing's ever going to be nothing's ever going to be perfect. And then there's mm-hmm. that tension with the idea in in lean and process improvement that we should strive for perfection and and constantly try to improve but that's I think, And I think the difference there, and I've not really thought about it before, before you said that, but it it feels like the difference there is that one is about holding on to something and not letting it out there until it's perfect. And one is about recognising that nothing is ever perfect. So just getting it out there and then improving it as you go along. So it's kind of almost the striving to, for perfection, knowing that you're going to be forever striving for, for, for perfection allows you to release things let go of things sooner maybe
1: absolutely I, I absolutely think that's true you know it's that it's all about acceptance isn't it mm-hmm. you know and I think you're right it's it, there is probably this letting go and I think it plays into the same way it's accepting that we are where we are put it out there get feedback and maybe you'll never get feedback which probably means it's just fine and and what I perceive as imperfection, may not be maybe absolutely perfect to the next person mm. right and, i mean i think there's an iterative process in this day and age when we're talking about lean and agile and, and those elements there's you know that we look at inter- iterative you know iterative fail type things and and i think it's great because i think it gives us the opportunity to to let go it provides a space to let go and to mm-hmm. get on to the next thing because you know it's not the end of the road
0: yeah I, so there's there's the sense that because nothing's ever really finished, nothing's ever really going to be perfect. And actually there's that opportunity to, to, you know, to, to refine. Mm-hmm. And I suppose one of the drawbacks of, of holding back on things when you're, when you are just waiting for it to be perfect is maybe actually you're perfecting it in the wrong way. Cause until something's out there and being real, can you really know what perfect is?
1: Good point. Probably not. Cause it's, it's based on our own observations yeah. and, and we are all observers of our own world so Mm -hmm. unless we let it out there and get some feedback how do we know we can only assume it's based on our on the way that we do things Mm -hmm. and assumptions are often ah, very ungrounded
0: what was it that made you you realize that this was something that was holding you back
1: i've probably been told a couple of times (laughs) actually you know over the years not so much in the last 10 years or so but certainly before that you know hey it doesn't have to be perfect guess let it go it's all right you know Uh, So that was, you know, probably some warning signs there, (laughs) loud ones. But also, even within myself, knowing that, you know, look, I'm going to be late with this, whatever this is, Mm -hmm. you know, if I don't just accept that it is fine the way it is. And I probably did learn that 20 odd years ago, to be fair, and particularly when it comes to working with teams and people and developing leadership skills. You get to a point where, you know, 80% actually is just fine unless you're a brain surgeon. Then I want you to be 100% sure. But are they? No, they're not, actually, you know. So I think it's just been a slow burn, actually. Mm-hmm. it's just been, You know, with every day thinking, okay, look, really, this is good enough. Let's just get it out there. And it depends on what it is as well you know i'm i quite i'm quite creative and and artistic so for me i like things to be just so so that they have a certain look and aesthetic and feel mm-hmm. and you know and i mean i can see with my minds up with my eye whether a line is straight or not mm-hmm. where most, most people wouldn't even notice it you know whether two dots are actually on the same plane or not mm-hmm. so, so it's fun but it's also a bit of a curse you know
0: <laughs> Yeah, I I have said a number of times to people, you know, I'm not a designer, but I am really fussy.
1: Yeah.
0: And and I think there is that tendency to kind of go, well, I've got a very, very clear idea how I want it. So the mm-hmm. idea of passing that over to somebody else who's better qualified, higher skilled, got more of a, a chance of actually doing it properly. I, I just know that I'd be a really awful client.
1: I build my own websites now because I—I just I'm a, I'm a hell client for web designers because they want to have a clear define. And I have no idea what that is. I need to do it while I'm doing it, and then I can define it. You know, so that's actually not about imperfection. That's about not knowing what I need.
0: But, but and finding and part of the, I guess part of the journey is finding, it, not it? As you go along.
1: That's how I work. So, it's in the writing, it's in the designing, it's in the creating that it all blossoms mm. yeah you
0: know. and then I, then i suppose you'll get to a stage where actually when you've gone through that process yourself then you can articulate it so maybe it's always that yes. that it's it's just too soon in your process to be bringing in other people maybe
1: absolutely I think that's a really valid point. If I think of one of my sites now, I've sort of got to a point now where I think, you know what, I could actually bring, and funny you actually mentioned this because I was actually thinking, you know, it's now at a place where I could hand it over to somebody and say, this is what I need on this page, make it happen. Because I now know what it needs. Whereas before, you know, from a blank canvas, I I couldn't answer that question. So it's a very good point that just relieved me a lot
0: (laughs) well that's 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 why we're here so let's let's carry on exploring this a bit further so what what i'd be interested to know about is a book or a concept or a a conversation or an epiphany if you like something that made you think differently about your life about the direction you're going in about the way you do things
1: You probably gather I'm not going to be able to answer that with one definitive thing.
0: Yeah, very few people can, but do it, yeah. No,
1: but I will say that I think one area of work, which was, well, two areas of work for me. One was when I was doing my ontological coaching studies, we talk about the moods framework. And that was a real revelation, actually, you know, understanding because moods and emotions are, are pretty much the same sort of thing. And this actually leads into the second part, which is actually emotional literacy. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're very related, actually, just as I'm saying this. We talk about the moods framework, which is the basic moods framework you have. It depends on what's possible, what's not possible for you, what is fact, what's uncertain. So there's certainty and uncertainty, what's possible, what's not possible, what what is, mm, keeps you sort of anxious. So when we look at them, we have uh, resistance, we have a resignation and we have anxiety at one level. So where we don't accept what's going on, we're not sure what's going on in the world under those three categories. And, and it's about shifting from resentment to where you need to move. A better mood is moving from resentment to acceptance, actually, or from resignation to ambition. And not ambition to buy a new car, but ambition to move forward in life. Mm-hmm. You know, And from anxiety to a world of curiosity and wonder. Now, of course, moving from those things, if somebody's in high resistance or resentment, I should say, about something, they're probably angry, they might be depressed, they might be very sad. You know, there's there's quite a scale in there of emotions that sits under this mood. And that was incredibly eye-opening for me. So a lot of my epiphanies have been through, well, learning, I guess that happens for all of us. So when I was doing my coaching program, this is an 18-month deep dive, quite intense development program and it was like it was interesting because like all my childhood and all sorts of things came flooding in as they do on those sorts of very deep development work and that was amazing and and the difference and understanding what's the difference between a mood uh, between a mood and an emotion Mm -hmm. and really it's just time so we can get my might be fear fearful because i've just seen a snake right that's an emotion as soon as the snake's gone it's gone yeah. but I might live in a state of fear. And if I'm living in a state of fear the time, then I'm probably living in one of those moods of anxiety where I'm fearful about everything. And my body is reacting certain ways constantly. My The, the neuroscience comes into this. There's a whole range of things that comes into this. So it's it really is time is the difference mm-hmm. between the two. So I can be anxious for a short time or I can be a very anxious person. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we're probably one of the easier ones to recognize, I guess, is someone when you meet someone who lives in a, in a world of resignation, meaning, well, why do we have to change that now, you know? Same shit, different day. They just, you can't get them out of that. It's almost like the half cup, half empty. Not always, but it is a little bit that way. But it's more about they are just resigned to this is it and I can't do anything about it so they just don't accept that they can do anything so we you know but if we can shift them to a space of ambition then they go oh well okay let's try that new idea that's a good idea let's move forward so working with teams and people and individuals actually around the free moods framework is really very powerful and it certainly made a difference to me and I'm always learning I mean I think it'll be a you know I'll be learning this this theories and knowledge for till I pop off but And that sort of led me even then down the road of emotional literacy, which which is a book that I love and recommend to many people, actually, The Unopened Gift, because many people don't realise that emotions are what drive us. They are what make us do anything in life. Without them, we don't, we're dead, basically. Mm -hmm. So they drive the chemicals, they drive what, what, and it's actually emotion. It is, you know that's what they're about so these that's been quite especially in the last five six years has been really quite eye-opening for me and I'm working on it all the time so it's not just about emotional intelligence it's actually really understanding well what does anger really mean what does happiness really mean what is that emotion what is its human distinction what is its concern okay why does it matter to me so we talk about emotions from what we call as they are our predispositions for action. Okay. They predispose, predispose I can't get the word out. <laughs> I need water or more coffee or something, right? They predispose us towards whatever we do in life. If I'm unhappy about something, well, I'll behave in a certain way. If I'm happy, I'll behave in a certain way. I will have different feelings. My body will be in a different shape, a different position. Uh, My eyes will be brighter. My cheeks might be rosier. There's a whole range of elements that get involved Mm. with this work. Yeah. So that's a. I think that whole world of understanding moods and emotions is just an ongoing journey, and it's an it's an amazing. uh, It's amazing how you can make a difference in people's lives with when you talk about it, when you get involved with it.
0: When you talk about the emotional literacy and the understanding of emotion,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is that from a, a metaphysical level? Is that a literally the kind of neurochemical like processes that go on and make us feel like that is a little bit of both? I mean, it's a bit it of sit? all of the
1: above. Okay. It's even going back to the the anatomy of the word anger okay. or you know, fear. I mean, mm-hmm. most of us sort of think there's about 14 emotions that we live with. We're either angry, we're happy, we're sad, we're you know whatever. Actually, there's mm-hmm. well over 250 that we live mm-hmm. with all the time, and sometimes many of them are playing it together at the same time. Mm-hmm. Or we might be confusing anxiety with fear. And interestingly, fear is usually something that's known. We're usually fearful of that thing. Mm-hmm. Anxiety. One of the ways to to help. I wouldn't say cure, but one of the ways to help review anxiety is to give it a name, give it a fear, Mm -hmm. turn it into a fear, actually, because then you can do something with it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if you don't know that you're afraid of spiders, you can't do anything about it.
0: The other one that always feels that I feel interesting, and we've run into a few times with, with my eldest, is that line or connection between, say, sort of fear or nerves and excitement. Because they're really the same kind of thing, you know. That it's a very similar thing.
1: I was about to say, physi- physiologically, fear, uh, excitement, and fear, or you know, let's say fear and excitement, may have very similar physical reactions. You might get hits of one will be adrenaline, the other will be cortisol, and you know, and both can be good in small doses. You know, one can sa- both can save us from situations. So it's, yeah, physiology, physically, they could feel the same, you know, it could be butterflies in the tummy, or it could be, you know, a bit of nervousness and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But the actual, what we do, our behavior for both will Mm -hmm. be different. Yeah. And maybe then what we say will be different. Mm -hmm. How we show up will be different. Mm -hmm. So, one, it, it it comes down to what's the human condition that the emotion is trying to serve.
0: Uh-huh. Okay.
1: If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, a more very common exp- explanation. If I've got a saber-toothed tiger coming at me, then I want to be shots of cortisol. I want to feel that I can run. I need the adrenaline. I need the cortisol. I need to get away from this thing. The problem is, is when we live in that state for too long, it then becomes a problem for us. Mm -hmm. And cortisol can live in our system for around 27 hours. Whereas, and if we're constantly giving ourselves hits of cortisol, then we get stressed. Then we get Mm -hmm. sick. Then we are physically become debilitated. So what we need is to have some of these other happier hormones like oxytocin which is the, what they call the hug hormone or the cell one that you get when you're in endo- endorphins and things anyway okay. you start to increase all of these they only last for three or four hours okay so you can imagine if somebody's okay i might have a smile now but you know for most of the time i'm sitting in this state of cortisol over overload then it's really i need more kindness to myself you know often mm-hmm. it's something we need to do to ourselves you know you know so that's that's kind of where that the chemical the neuroscience and and i'm talking at this at a very high level and mm-hmm. i'm not a neuroscientist but between conversation intelligence and the and the ontological work i've done quite a done a reasonable amount so it's about understanding some of these chemicals and what it does for us mm-hmm. that helps us that propels us one way or another
0: mm. I, I I feel sort of weirdly without agency as I sort of feel as you sort of talk about like chemicals propelling me. I feel like I sort of balloon that's just been like slightly untied. But it's been quite a long day, so it's possibly that. So, we're moving now into the section of the podcast where we talk about our workflow and things that make our lives easier. and And what I'd like what I'd like to tell us about is something that's not your laptop or your phone that you use that you use every day.
1: Which is exactly what I write. Yeah, <laughs> in work and how do I get through my days mm. working? It's it's really hard for me to think beyond technology. Funny okay. enough, because I really think you know, if I if my laptop fell apart, I'd be quite lost. Actually, I'd be like, oh my god, what do I do? Mm. You know?
0: And where do you where, where do you live technology wise? Where does Karen's work get done?
1: In a variety of places, actually. Uh, a lot of it is through Zooms and microphones. I use um, my calendar, my Evernote, my uh, I struggle with Trello, funny enough. Yeah, the software applications that I love, Space, which is my digital facilitation platform. Well, it's not mine, but it's the one I use and implement. And thats I spend a lot of time designing those now for clients. My home, actually. I like my home. Nice. And this is where I work <laughs> as well as live. So having the... And I have boundaries in the home Mm -hmm. around that. I'm fortunate enough that I can, you know. So I definitely have a home office upstairs, and the rest of my life is downstairs. Mm -hmm. I can't live without. It's funny. I've I've often thought about that sort of question, and people Mm -hmm. say this, the other. I mean, one of once upon a time, I would have said my hair dryer, but you know, it doesn't make any difference to work really. The possible, actually, what I could, what I would find very difficult is if I couldn't connect with people today. Mm -hmm. Technology in general really would make yeah i would find that very challenging
0: i i do think it's interesting that the impact that the pandemic had on the i think the acceleration of collaborative networking and and video conferencing and communication tools Mm. because it was well people were less comfortable with them right at the very start of the start of the pandemic and things like microsoft teams and and some of the others have by necessity, had to accelerate the the level at which they've rolled out different features in order to just be able to keep up with what people need, what their customers need from them. And I do wonder how long it would have taken, say, mm-hmm. I don't know, team, teams to add breakout rooms if there hadn't suddenly been this, this need
1: caused by them. I agree with that. And I mean, I'm... Uh... I'm an absolute fan of Zoom. I think it's one of the, it's still the best of all of them. But, you know, some of the others are definitely moving along. If I think of a year ago when we were running a, a virtual facilitation conference back in March last year, at the end of March last year, I mean, we would spend 20, 30 minutes just making sure people were comfortable with Zoom, we would use slides, we would direct them, show them, spend time creating activity around it. I've d- dropped all of it because we generally might five minutes might be all you need you know it might be a new tool to somebody but they more much of a muchness really now so you know people get the concept of okay this is the screen this is how i can mute myself this is how i can turn my camera on and off you know that's a chat that's a whatever you know they might be in different places or whatever but the but the principles of them are all there
0: you know i wish they weren't in different places no it would be easier I find it massively challenging to move from one platform to another and just find that I'm I'm actually just like switching my camera on and off rather than muting or whatever it's it's very very frustrating this is true I mean I'm interested you referred to it very briefly at the beginning you've moved around a lot you're somebody whose journey has, has, has taken them around a lot of different parts of the world when you said you like your home what's What's home? How do you make a home? When you move a lot, how do you make home? What does home mean?
1: There's a wonderful song, you know, home is where you hang your hat. And I think for me, home is wherever I am. And it's always an interesting conversation I have with my Aussie buddies. You know, so so when are you coming home? I'm going, I am home." home. Yeah, Australia was one of my homes. Right now, I mean, it's interesting. This is the longest I've actually lived in the same house in my entire life. I mean, from birth, we were always moving as well even as kids so uh, as my parents so uh, for me it's and I'm very good at making a home I love making homes I whether I own them rent them it doesn't matter mm-hmm. to me it's my home so I'm going to make it as best I can with mm-hmm. reasonable financial whatever it's important to me so I am quite a homebody even though I love to travel and to move around the globe if I can look forward to that again one day well w- one day it's
0: it's it's opening slowly i think what would what would be i suppose so let's 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 flip that question around and think about it from the negative side of things mm-hmm. what if if somewhere didn't feel like home what would it be missing for you
1: atmosphere so a sense of calm i mean i can pretty much live in a small box or a big place and mm-hmm. make it feel like something so mm-hmm. a sense of yeah if it doesn't have a nice feeling I don't know mm-hmm. it's such a funny thing you know I walk into a house and go oh yeah this is it you know, mm-hmm. I walked into 10 before this one mm-hmm. nope that's not it that's not it that's not it you know and it was just that it, it's a feeling about a place mm-hmm. as much as anything Um, the other thing I need is space as contradictory as that just sounded when I said I could live in a box but I mm-hmm. do need to be able to see out like I need okay. to be able to okay. see into the distance so if if i've lived in i've had a small units and things back in sydney but they always had a view of some sort so with enough space i I, for me living on top of each other is not pleasant so it's probably why i live outside of cities now because i just like the space that i can see i don't have to use it particularly Mm -hmm. but i just like to know that it's there and home is somewhere i just feel safe a place Mm -hmm. that i feel safe and that can be anywhere. That can be on a yacht, it can be in a house, it can be... So somewhere, if I'm going to put unpack my bag somewhere, I need to feel safe in that space.
0: There's, I think there's something about my answering that I was kind of thinking, how would I answer this question? And, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's something about feeling like you can just leave your stuff some, anywhere. And my wife would no doubt be absolutely furious with that. But I think there's certainly <laughs> a, a... There's, there's definitely a, a sense of, like, being of not needing to you know confine yourself to a particular area or yeah. or, or live within a certain certain but restrictions or constraints mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. that's what it that's what it would come down to um,
1: definitely where I can come in and I can plonk down and I feel it's just it's a feeling it's just like I'm here I have lots of you know stuff around me actually I'm not a minimalist mm-hmm. although I don't like to be overstuffed but but everything has to have a bit of a story I mean, even I look at this vase behind me. It's thirty years old. That came from Indonesia, and these are dried flowers that've been with me literally since the nineties. Sometime, you know, they've come from Australia. They've landed in Scotland. They're you know. The other thing I have to say is my cats. I love my cats.
0: So, what is the most recent thing that you bought or acquired that is really useful and that you're what's a new
1: shiny thing, Karen? bit of a shiny bubble girl so Mm -hmm. but i put down here believe it or not a dynamo labeling machine you know the old-fashioned labeling machines i can because i do like to put things into containers i like things to be contained and organized so now i can add these fabulous labels to them as well so so my dynamo labeling machine
0: (laughs) that made me so happy makes me so (laughs) happy the as you're aware kind of my bible and my my book that i read by uh, getting things done by david allen And he has quite a whole chapter, but it feels like a whole chapter, on automatic labelers. Yeah, he's a big fan of labelers. And I resisted it for a very long time just Mm because I like... It felt... The first version of the book came out in 2001, and... It's quite quaint to read it now because he talks about palm pilots. And he talks about computers in that sense of being, you remember when the internet was in a room in your house, when you had to go yes. to a room where the computer and the internet was. And that's kind of the, the metaphor he uses a lot in the, the beginning of the book. And he mm-hmm. talks about dictaphones and voice recorders and things like that. And and he talks about labelers. Mm-hmm. And I, I just put the labeler in with all of this kind of like quaint early noughties technology that was uh, mm-hmm. just being thrown around and then i got one and mm-hmm. i got i got one because i was sorting through it was when we were redoing this this office room and i needed mm-hmm. to sort out my filing and i got all these like manila folders that had like me my, my scrawling sharpie on them and just like i was like right well, i want to sort these out and so i got i, I got a label maker to label them all up and I, suddenly it's just it was like wd-40 you know how when you've got a can of wd-40 you just wander <laughs> yes. around looking for things to put wd-40 on i was just wandering around with label machine go right what needs labelling? But there is something about the, the way, when you are in a, in a process of organising, there is something, it's very, very difficult to describe, but it feels so, so neat freak. But when you're actually in that process of organising, actually that process of labelling things in that way feels, it just feels a little bit more proper. And it's almost like the opposite of the broken window syndrome, where actually you've got it's got a label on it. So now I've got a folder with a label on it for that. So now I'm going to put things in that folder, goddammit. And I also had to label a lot of things for, for my little boy as well. So he's got like a label that says things like horse. And
1: what a great way to teach him how to spell.
0: Yeah. Turn it,
1: click, turn it, cl- I didn't but you know, it was a manual one. Oh wow. Oh no, 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 not none of this typey one. No, no. It's a good, proper. No, I think it's downstairs. Uh, proper handheld little one, and you just got to turn the wheel. I like, old school. Old school. No, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful process.
0: I, I wholeheartedly approve. I would like to assure everybody that I did not put Karen up to talking about labelers on the show. No. I am beyond happy that that is what uh, has made made your life so much easier in, in recent times. That's uh, that's right made by day. Okay, we're to the home straight now and. I'd like you to complete the sentence, please, Karen. Do yourself a favour and...
1: Take a deep breath and know that all will be well.
0: Lovely. Go on and and, and give me the why.
1: You know, we all go through moments where we feel anxious about things and we get nervous about things and we freak out about things and we overreact to things. And honestly, by taking a deep two, maybe five, maybe ten, deep breaths scientifically can help shift everything. Uh, so the deep breath is actually really important in that and it does end up giving you a sense of okay i can do this i've got this all will be well there's a great book and i can't think of her name right now i'm terrible <laughs> remembering authors' names it's called the universe has got your back and i actually think it does you know if you let it but but you need to breathe into it
0: and that feels like as good a place as any for us to uh, to bring this to a bit of a close karen mm-hmm. where can people find you
1: well, luckily for me, I've got only 10 letters in my name and it's unique globally. So you can type in Karen Ovari, K-A-R-I-N-O-V-A-R-I, into anything and I'll turn up. So I do have a website. It's like looking in the
0: mirror and saying, "candy man" five times.
1: I have two websites. So I have Karen I have safetycollaborations.com. So, the, and that is exactly one word, safety collaborations. And the other great place to find me is on LinkedIn at Karen Navarro.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me. I do yourself favour. Uh, excellent. And, and thank you everybody for listening and we'll speak again soon. Bye-bye. been listening to do yourself a favor the podcast about learning from experience and the things we do to make our lives easier brought to you by make work work better my name is Tim Sismi from make work work better our theme tune is by the titanics talk to you again soon